0: Thank you Ronnie and thanks again to the worship team and and I've discovered that I like sitting over here when Bill plays the drums <laughs> I it fills me with so much joy because he's like he's having so much fun and uh, when the spirit starts moving some people through their gifts they just you just see joy on their face and that makes me uh, joyous and happy also so thank you guys for leading us in worship let's pray together Father we are thankful for our fathers, and we thank you that, um, that you have brought them into our lives, and uh, I think the longer we live, the more we realize the influence those dads have had on us, and how their being and their way of thinking and doing has been woven into our lives, and Father, I thank you for the gentleness of my own father, I thank you that uh, he was... So patient and never drew attention to himself, and created a climate of grace for us and kindness and freedom to follow where you would have us to lead. We thank you for the shelter that he gave us and the rest. We thank you that uh, he was a man that I could trust and listen to and get wisdom from. I thank you for what he taught us that all the kids in our neighborhood were our kids, and uh, we took care of them, and we cared for each other. And Father, I know, I recognize that not everyone had the most ideal situation, and ours was not ideal either. But Father, we think that, thank you that you are the ideal father. You are everything a father should be. And even as a father ourselves, we, we look to you as our model and our pattern. And how you are gentle with us and how you take care of us and how you have offered yourself for us and that you have given us wisdom and a spirit of love and not a spirit of fear. So Father, we come together and worship you this morning uh, as our God and as Jesus called you, our Abba Father, uh, one that we can have a relationship with and one that we can know and that one that wants to know us as well. So, Father, we're going to give you this morning everything that we do, everything that we say. Uh, We ask that you be the the teacher this morning and your spirit uh, move among us, change us, open our eyes to what you're doing, perhaps, and and, uh, get a glimpse of a side of you that we have not seen before. And So, Father, we commit this time to you in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We have a, a couple of neighbors on the side of our house, and um, they're an older couple and uh, delightful and funny, and uh, we've gotten to talk to We have to talk to them through the slat in the, the fences, just the way it is, and uh, they like to sit out in their yard and, uh, and talk and, and smoke weed, and uh, <laughs> uh, just great, but they're just delightful people. And, uh, we were talking one time, because we had had these skunks in our, in our neighborhood. You could smell it. I mean, real-life skunk, not the skunk that they're growing in their backyard, <laughs> but real-life skunk. And, and we, uh, we were talking about that, uh, and it's just like somebody may have hit one. I mean, it's like maybe they had set up camp in the neighborhood, and maybe they would run over by a car, but the smell had lasted for several days. And I was telling her about a friend that I had met that I know that uh, he had skunk move in under his crawl space, and it had gotten so bad that they're talking about what it, they had to move into a hotel for a while. And I, I met him at the gym, and in the locker room, his clothes smell like skunk. And he said, I don't know, we're thinking about burning down the house. We don't know what to do, what to, how to get rid of them, and how to, how to deal with this. And so she told me the story about how she got rid of a skunk that lived in her crawl space in another house that they lived in on the other side of town. It was a two-story house. And she was telling me that she took plywood and boarded up all the way around the house and so there was just this one opening where the skunk had gotten in or got in and could get out and then she set a plate of cat food outside to draw the skunk out from the crawl space she said and then I was up on the second floor waiting for him and see wait till he came out and he sure enough he came out and started eating the cat food and I dropped a rock on him. And I go, that is not what I expected to hear. <laughs> I was expecting to some sophisticated uh, way that she was able to trap it and, you know, and, and dispose of it and move on. But I mean, it, quick execution. I mean, it, it, I guess it worked. Uh, but I said, that's yeah, that was, not, that was a surprise. Uh, but I tell you that story for a couple of reasons. One, because I think it's funny, and I think it's a great story, and I've been waiting for a chance to use it. <laughs> and... <clears throat> But the second reason is that I feel like that it kind of models how we, uh, how we live normally and how we try to make decisions. I mean, every day we make dozens and dozens of decisions, some small, some larger, about how to manage our life, where our life goes, our purpose in life, where we're going. And uh, some of them have great consequences and some of them not. And, uh, and even if it's just something as simple as how to get rid of a skunk in your, in your house, we just make these decisions over and over again and they eventually build up and start adding to the direction of where our life goes. And uh, usually we just kind of depend on our own, our own wisdom, our own thinking, our own mind. Maybe we seek a little of advice from other people with expertise and try to get some instruction on what to do and how to go from here. But basically that's it. But as Christians, we have this, our stakes are a little higher than that. As Christians, we, are, we, we throw this layer on of, of finding God's will. And we want to live in God's will. We want to obey Him. We want to do what He wants us to do. Wants us to do. And so we do have this, this sort of extra step in there that we want to find God's will. Now the problem is, is that I mentioned before, that sometimes we have these hierarchy of needs. And, and uh, this hierarchy we, it kind of depends on whether we seek God's will or not. Uh, maybe you want to seek God's will on how to get rid of a skunk. Uh, you know, I probably wouldn't have thought of that. But maybe, maybe you do, or, or whether I should I buy the organic chicken or the cheaper non-organic chicken, you know, those kinds of things. So we kind of say, well, there's some things that that are worth asking God about, and there's some things that aren't worth asking God about. And then once we hear a lesson, we feel like, well, um, uh, was this really God's will? Uh, Did I really miss it? Do I I really know what I'm doing here? And how do we tell the difference? And if it turned disastrous, does that mean I missed the God's will? Does it mean it's that it's not good, or maybe God even used it in my life. So we have all these questions that are really complicated things. And it's really, and it's really hard, especially for young people, because I don't know if, if you guys have been taught this, but you know we're kind of taught growing up that God's will is this bullseye. And you've got to hit the bullseye. And if you don't hit the bullseye, then you've missed God's will for your life. And there's like this one person that you have to marry, and you've got to find her or find him. Or there's one job, one career... That you have to do, and, and if you've missed the bullseye, then you know, you've messed up your life. And so often that just paralyzes us, uh, when in reality the bullseye, for the most part, doesn't exist. It's not like that. There are things that we can follow God, but what do we do? How do we, how do we understand what God is doing? And basically we have um, two approaches uh, when we talk about God's will that we look at. Two common approaches as Christians. We have the plan and the call. And some people say, okay, I'm going to, I think God, I, I'm going to, I'm gonna. God's gifted me and he's given me this burden for this one thing and, and I'm going to be an accountant or, or an engineer or whatever, a farmer, whatever. And so you make out this plan and it's a five-year plan of where you met go to school and where you, how you're going to get training and how you're going to go and, and you're going to reach this goal within five years. And you have this plan laid out and you think that's really good. But then you go, what? where's God in this? Did I just, would I have made the same plan with or without God? Uh, is there something more to this that I'm missing here than just making a plan for my life? And the other approach is the call, and that's like the event, the event. You, something happens to you, something speaks to you, uh, you have a big burden, and you just feel like God is calling you to do something, and you cannot resist it, and so you follow the call, you do this thing because God has put it on your heart, Or maybe someone has told you to do this, and you respect that person a great deal, and it's this event in your life. And then a lot of us know people who have followed God's call, and it has been disastrous. And you start to think, well, gee, maybe I should have added a little more planning in this rather than just jumping ship and just doing whatever and and making this rash decision. So we kind of vacillate between those two, but there is a third option. There is a third option of discerning God's will, God's call, God's plan for our lives. It's it's not as complicated as we think it is. It is a lifestyle of learning to listen to God. Last week we talked about discernment in the community level, for the church level. What I want to do over the next few weeks as we're kind of coming to an end of our series on the Trinity and specifically the Holy Spirit is to bring it back down to the personal level. And there is this, this lifestyle of learning to listen to God. And that is quite different than trying to hit the bullseye. That maybe there, sometimes there is a call, a burden that God has given us. And sometimes God calls us and says, okay, I want you to make this plan. But it's this lifestyle of learning to listen to God, learning to hear Him. And that gives us wisdom. And Jesus said as much in John chapter 10 that Ronnie read, that this is that He is a shepherd who calls So to begin with, we're going to be looking at this in the next few weeks and I just want to introduce it today, this morning, that it it, it must begin with God. It must begin with God himself, to listen to God. The God that we believe is is one God, as we talked about earlier, is one God living in this community of three persons. That there are these three persons where, where love is flowing through the three persons, constantly flowing and it is so, uh, it's so encompassing that they are one. And I know that's hard to grasp mathematically, but just think quantum physics, okay? Uh, we realize that there are things that can exist in contradictory ways. And God is this author of this. He is this three-person flowing of love as one. And that means God is not some abstract concept out there, just an idea. It means that God is not some force in the universe that seems to reside in some people who are very special, like Jedi Knights, you know, who know the force. Uh, he's not just an a, a energy wave going through the universe. God expects us to have a relationship with him. He wants to be known. And he wants to be known so badly that he became incarnate as a man, a rabbi and named Naz- of Nazareth named Jesus who called disciples to people to follow him. And when I say follow him, I'm not saying follow him like you would follow somebody on Instagram, you know, where you're kind of just interested in them. This means follow him means you, you imitate his pattern. He is the model. You try to be like him. So this is a God who not only wants to be known, but he wants to be followed. He wants us to know him and he wants to know us. He wants to be with us, as John says. He tabernacled with us. He, laid, he pitched his tent with us. That's, he not only wants to be known, he wants to be with us. And then when, after the death and resurrection, he also promised that he would send this spirit to us that we've been talking about. The spirit who is, was living in us and us living in him. And this is this learning this relationship with the spirit where we hear his voice in this conversation, where this listening to the voice is actually the center of our lives and not on the peripheral. Listening to God, I am convinced, it needs to be in the center of our lives, an integral part of our lives in this Christian life that we call following Jesus, the way. And hearing him is absolutely essential. Now, I am not saying that I get up in the morning and check my text message and emails and expect to hear something from God to let me know, you know, uh, to, to kind of soothe my anxiety or solve my confusion, or I don't expect to hear an audible voice on this to, to know what's gonna, what I'm supposed to do day after day. I don't think many of us or any of us can, can testify to that. But I do think there is this lifestyle of worship. And one of my favorite stories, and I mentioned this earlier, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament is the story of Jesus after the resurrection walking with the disciples on the way to Emmaus. And I have loved that story for probably 20 years. And uh, I preached on it several times in different places, and I never have really plumbed the depths of this story, I don't think, because I think it's a model for our life with Jesus. And it is so rich there of Jesus coming alongside and, and meeting and talking with these disciples on the way to, on the way to Emmaus. And I think in that, that little story there that I absolutely love, we find all kinds of ways in which Jesus relates to those disciples. And we can find some ways of how he speaks to us. And it is always about Jesus. It will always be through, whatever God communicates to us, it will be through Jesus and it will point to Jesus. Jesus is what God sounds like. We want to hear God, we hear Jesus. We want to hear, listen to God, we listen to Jesus. It will always, always, always point to Him, and it will always be through Him. He is the center, and that's what we see in the the road to Emmaus. He comes alongside them. He He draws Himself to them, Luke says. And I will say to you this morning that because you are here this morning, tells me that Jesus wants to draw near to you. That just the fact that you are sitting in these chairs this morning, worshiping with us, tells me, and I don't know how deep that feeling is, but it tells me at least something that you want Jesus to draw near, and Jesus wants to draw near to you this morning. So we hear God's voice in the Bible. Jesus came along and he says he explained the scriptures to them. He explained the scriptures to them, and said, that, and reinterpreted this, this radical reinterpretation of how the Old Testament scriptures point to him and how they all lead up to this death and resurrection. That this is how it's supposed to happen, totally different than how they were interpreting it before. And he explains the scriptures to them, and they said that the, their heart began to burn, burn inside of them. He opened the scriptures to them, but he gave them this radical, radical interpretation that the Old Testament, he is saying, is Christocentric, meaning that it is Christ. Centered. Now, the Bible is the Word of God. I love the Bible. I love the complexity. I love the artistry. I love the poems. I love the stories. I love it. It is the primary method in which God reveals Himself to us. But it is not God. Okay? We have to remember that. To, To treat the Bible as if it were God would be to betray the Bible itself, because the Bible says that. Okay? It is not God. It is the word of God. It reveals God to us, but it is not God. We love God. We love Jesus. And we love the Bible in a different way. And the best example, and I've used this probably illustration before, but I think it's the, for me it's the cl- most clearest way I can communicate this, is that uh, back in 1983, Sue was on the same um, missionary internship in Haiti that I went on in 81. And while she was there, I was in a little town north of Baltimore, Maryland, doing a pastoral internship. And we just started kind of seeing each other and sort of dating, and we, 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 we communicated with letters. And so I would get these letters from them. It was a small town, and everybody knows everybody's business. And so even the post office lady became invested in my love life, okay? <laughs> so she would, she would write these letters. Of course, she would draw these little figures on them being an artist. And, of course, her handwriting looks like a computer font, you know? And I would get these letters, and, and she said, oh, you have another one. You have to tell me what she says. And, and so it was really kind of fun. It was kind of fun and games there. But I would take them immediately go to the room that I was renting from this family while I was there and open it up and just spend hours, or at least an hour, just reading it two or three, four or five times over and over and over again. And I saved those letters. Now, I love the letters. They're really well, written and they're, I love what they say, the words and all that. I love those letters, I saved them. But it's not because I loved the paper or loved the the, the words, it's because I loved the author. Amen. I love the Bible in the same way. It's not that I love the Bible the same way, I love it because I love the author. And that is very, very clear that I clear that we get this in here, that we understand this, that we are faithful to that. This is not. A, a, just a handbook of rules and regulations that we need to follow and maybe we'll become better persons while we wait to go to heaven. It's not that. It is about to tell us about a relationship where we enter in a relationship. When it becomes just a handbook, it's just moralism. If it becomes just a treatise, and then it's just a theology. And God becomes detached from that. And we become removed from God because of that. The Bible is to facilitate our relationship with God, our relationship with Christ, our relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's what it's it's there for. It is not just to give us a a, a, um, a moral treatise on this. Um, Dallas Willard says, when we don't understand the experience of biblical characters in terms of our own lives, we simply stop reading the Bible altogether. Or else we take it in regular doses, choking it down like medicine, because someone told us that it would be good for us, though we really do not find it to be so. And so we read the Bible, sometimes I think, okay, all those experiences were great for those people back there, that's really interesting, but that was back then, that has nothing to do with my experience today, I'm just not doing the same thing, I can't experience the same thing. And he is saying we read it through the experience with our own experience. And we expect that God to communicate with us in much the same way. And it fosters this relationship with God. That it's not just some old book that happened, happened 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago. But we read it through our own experience and we expect God to speak to us and relate to, God, relate to us in much the same way. And we don't. I think we expect too little of God. And I want to spend the rest of my years expecting too much of God then expecting too little. And let him relate to me the way he wants to. And Jesus himself you know, was, was rebuking the Pharisees when he said, You study the scriptures thoroughly because you think in them you will possess eternal life. And it is these same scriptures that testify about me. This whole point of the scriptures is to point to Christ and to, and to deepen our relationship with Christ. So, we hear God's voice in the Bible. We hear God's voice through the word of others. I happen to believe all the, all the gifts of the Spirit are operable today. And when I talk about the voice of others, I'm talking many, many times about the prophetic voice of people who speak to us with a prophetic voice. And we have this idea of prophecy as some guy who kind of goes into a trance, or maybe he just predicts the future. That's not the idea at all. This is The prophetic voice is telling us that God is acting and God is working in us. And, this, and maybe it gives us some concrete things to do. I bet many of us, I know I have, had people speak prophetically to me and speak prophetically in my life that has shaped it. Now, of course, it can be abused. Uh, we will talk about that in a little bit later. But if you see the prophets in the New Testament, they're perfectly lucid. They're not in some trance going in, going on gibbering about nonsense. They are very lucid, conscious people who are trying to exhort the church to do certain things. So people can speak through us. God whispers, God hear, we hear God through whispers. If, if the prophetic voice is the external, the whisper is the internal. And this is sometimes impressions, this is sometimes... Because uh, uh, sometimes it can come as a blast, but oftentimes it's just sort of a subtle and subtle impression on us, or something we feel led to. We hear God through dreams, visions, and subconscious. When I hear people tell me that they God told them something or God hear them, I, I take them seriously these days. Uh, we hear God through dreams and visions, subconscious, and of course, that's it's all it's all fallible. You know, God is broadcasting something maybe. But our receptors, our receivers, our radio receivers are, are flawed. And so we do kind of misinterpret it sometimes. But I still believe that he communicates through that. I, I have had several dreams where out of nowhere and then contact the person, and they go, well, yeah, my my son is dealing with drug addiction. And we just found out that he was in prison or something. And, and not too long ago, I had a dream about this guy I worked for when I was in school. And I was actually working. Closer to his wife, who she's kind of one to supervise my... But I knew all of his kids, and I remembered all their names in my dream. And I thought, that is weird. That was 30 years ago. And so I called him up and looked him up to see if he was on the right place. I was going to drop him a note, see if he lived in the same place. And Andy, his wife, had just died. It's things like that that I think, okay, God is active, and he is working. He's working in us, and I cannot, I cannot discount that. I can't put that aside. We hear God in our community, in the creation, and in our culture. God can use any of his creation to speak to us, and he does often. Uh, we, I took Sue to the Oregon Gardens in Silverton this week, and it was a surprise. I didn't tell her where we were going, and uh, so we ended up there, and I just said, be sure and bring your colorblind glasses. And, and that's, where, that's how God communicates to her visually through things like that, that were just so, he said, I've never felt so at peace than right here. It's a long time since I felt that way. That's how God can use us, use whatever he creates. Uh, m- many of us are audible learners, or audible, and that's how God, but he can use anything in our culture, in, our creation, in the creation, or in our community here to speak to us. And finally, hearing always becomes doing. When the disciples finished hearing to Jesus and finished Jesus, Jesus finished speaking to them and left, left them, what did they do? They immediately got up and went back to Jerusalem to proclaim, we have seen the Lord. And we always live what we say. We, we recited the Apostles' Creed this morning. And that's great that we recite that and say, yes, I believe all that. But what God wants us to do is live out the Apostles' Creed. It always begins with doing. Hearing always begins with doing. So you say, look at all that list and go, okay, this is just too complicated. This is just too much. But I still say, Jesus keeps it simple. He keeps it really simple. He says in John chapter 10, at the end of the chapter that Ronnie read this morning, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's how simple it is. We listen to the voice. That is our purpose. Our primary purpose is to enjoy a real conversational relationship with an infinitely loving triune God. That is our purpose, to enjoy a real conversational relationship with an infinitely loving God. And he says, just, just keep it simple. Now, I don't know much about sheep, but I know a little bit about dogs. And I think maybe if you were in Hood River today, Jesus would say, the dogs know my voice. Yeah. I, had a, I had an uncle who passed away about three years ago who taught me how to hunt. And with my, we'd go every, every Labor Day. He trained German short hair pointers. And that is the most fun to go hunting with a dog. I mean, it's more, watching the dogs almost is more fun than the hunting itself. And he was telling me, he says, you know, it's really not that hard. There are techniques to train a German short hair pointer. He said, but basically, it just takes a lot of time to spend with them to where they know your voice and they know your whistles and to be with them. He said, that's that's really about it, just to be with them and then that they learn your voice and know your commands. And he could whistle and they would stop. Or he would whistle and they would go. Or he would send them out. And they just knew because... He was with them all the time. And I think that's the same thing with the sheep and the shepherd, that we just be with the shepherd and we start to know his voice. We start to know his whistles in a way. And we start to hear that. And like I said, when I hear people say, God told me this, I take them seriously these days. I wanna listen to what they say. And even in the secular West, with a lot of people saying that they're atheists or agnostics, they still, according to to the most recent surveys, they still pray. They still reach out to some God out there. I mean, nobody enters, or very few people enter chemotherapy without prayer. Very, very few people. Very few people welcome a baby into the world and say, oh, what a wonderful biological mechanism. And I don't know anybody who goes and stares at Mount Hood and say, I am just awestruck by my own glory and magnificence. Yeah. Nobody says that. We look at that and we go, I'm awestruck by the glory and magnificence of a creation or something that created that. Amen. Even those people recognize that there's something else out there. Now, he does communicate sometimes in really thrilling ways with visions and dreams and audible voices. But normally, it's just a calm listening to the voice. My father's favorite hymn, and I can still, even reading these words, I can hear his tenor voice in my head, was in the garden. I come to the garden alone, while the dew is still on the roses, and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. There's great theology in those old hymns. And I just think that is the one that just describes what this is all about. I think the road to Emmaus illustrates that. It models that. N.T. Wright says we need to learn to live within the story. And learning to live within the story is when we invite Jesus to come along with us And join us on the journey. And we invite him into our questions. We invite him into our relationships. We invite him into our home. And he sits down with us. And he opens the scriptures to us. And our hearts are burning with fire. The scriptures begin to come alive. We begin to see them in a different light. He walks with us. And he talks with us. And he tells us that we are his own. That's listening. That's listening to the prayer. To the voice. So we not only just read the Bible, we also pray the Bible. We converse with him with the Bible. And yeah, sometimes he appears in a blinding light like he did with Paul. But most of the times, for hundreds more, it's him meeting us on the road and walking with us and revealing himself eventually, opening the scriptures and relating to him. And we hear his voice. Hearing God begins and ends with Jesus. It begins and ends with Jesus. Jesus is what God sounds like. It's not some skill we have to master. It is a master we need to get to know. That's how we hear his voice. The purpose of our life is to enjoy this relationship, this real conversational relationship with an infinitely loving God. I want to give you just three quick practices to start with. Listen slowly. God speaks slowly. Listen slowly. We want to go in and want the answer right away, but give it time. When uh, most of my friends in Mexico, they are huge, huge, huge soccer fans. Of course, they call it football, like the rest of the world. And they're huge football fans. And I really wanted to love soccer, because all my friends did, and I wanted to be in there with them, you know. I wanted to, I wanted to know. And so I, and I would see highlights on the, on the TV and go, you know, maybe I need to give this another chance. This is pretty exciting. So then you put on a game, and you watch two hours of dribbling and going back and forth, and, and then maybe, maybe your team might score one goal, if it's three if it's a blowout, you know. And I just never could get past that. And I would say, oh, but it's so boring. And they would always say, but Tom, you like baseball? Yeah, well, that's different, you know, baseball's different, you know. But that's kind of the way I feel when we hear people's testimonies. We get the highlights. When people say, God has told me this, or I heard God say to me, and that's just the highlight reel, okay? What we don't know is all the tedious hours that they spent in silence or in prayer or listening or praying and being on a friendship with God. We didn't see all of that. All we see is this highlight reel. So listen slowly. Make time to worship in your normal routine, your normal everyday life. Okay, it's great to read the Bible, but I would suggest reading the Bible and having a hymnal nearby, or a song, or a playlist, or something like that. Uh, I like music. That's how God speaks to me a lot, is through music. Uh, my wife likes visual, like I said, she likes the flowers, the colors, the paintings, you know, the see things takes time to, to do, know that, to listen, to watch, to see, whatever works for you, to go to that special place that is for you, or make, make that special walk, whatever it takes. Take time to worship, not just do your, okay, I'm gonna read my my chapter a day, keeps the devil away, Bible reading, you know. Take time to worship, take a sheet of the hymnal and sing one of those old hymns in the garden or whatever, or, or, I put a playlist. I was in a, uh, a spiritual formation group where we were practicing disciplines and we'd come back once a week to share how the discipline worked that week. And I remember one of the, one of the women came back and, and uh, she was a Spanish speaker, but she listened to uh, the Messiah, Handel's Messiah, in Spanish for one afternoon. And she said it totally changed her life. She took time one afternoon just to listen to this amazing composition about the Messiah. Take time to worship. And then finally, ask questions of others. Ask other people, what has God been showing you lately? Ask, what does the voice of Jesus sound like to you? And investigate that. And hear from other people. Take time to worship. Listen slowly and ask people how they hear God's voice. Prayer is about friendship with God. That's what it is. It's all about friendship with God. And it is much simpler than we think it is. It's just maintaining this relationship. Now, I know that there are self-proclaimed prophets out there. I know that they're out there probably out of motivation, out of greed or wealth or power or whatever. Self-proclaimed prophets that are that trying to save face right now because they prophesied wrong a presidential election or they've always pre- predicted when Jesus is going to return and he hasn't. Or that they, they seem to know God's opinion on just about everything from the politics in the Middle East to, uh, to medical genetics or whatever. They seem to know every, the God's opinion on all those things and they tend to cover their pace. And that is, that is painful and is embarrassing for us as Christians. But it also, on the personal level, sometimes we run into those people who abuse this, who abuse it because they want to control or because they have pride and arrogance. And nothing stops us from hearing God more than pride and arrogance. God will not speak to that. That is a shield that is hard to penetrate and he may need to break us. I had a friend in college who uh, attended a church and the pastor's wife had this, supposedly this spiritual gift where she would pair people up to get married and God would tell them who they were supposed to marry and she told Mindy that she was supposed to, God told her that she was supposed to marry this guy over here. And Mindy said, uh-uh, he didn't tell me that. <laughs> and so they disciplined her because she rejected the Holy Spirit. So yes, it can be abused. It can be abused. But, but, you come back to the most fundamental prayer of Judaism in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the first word you see is hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Love him with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Jesus said that is the greatest commandment. Hear, O people of God, the Lord your God is one. Love him with all your heart and your soul in your strength